Okay, welcome to the Nusiestri Show. This is the podcast for developers who are self-taught or have been to coding boot camps, and it's where I talk to them about how they've become successful in their jobs or how they've made their own startups. My guest today is Alex Chernikov, a young self-taught developer from Ukraine. Alex and his friend have created Mate Translate, a translation app which is making $18,000 a month and which has 800,000 users worldwide. How's it going, Alex? Hi, thanks for having me, mate. So, yeah, what is Mate Translate? Yeah, so Mate Translate is a translator app that integrates with uh, iOS, macOS, and every browser that's on the market very natively, which allows you to translate things by just double-clicking on them, which is our USB against Google, for example. So we target ourselves that we are a translator app for people who translate really a lot, for example, language learners, digital nomads, or expats. And we save them a lot of time because they don't have to copy stuff, open Google Translate, paste it, get it translated, and switch back. So, yeah, like, we are a translator app for power users, if you want. So how did you get into coding originally? Yeah, so I got inspired by my older brother. He's actually 13 years older than me, and I was in middle school. So I was like 12 or 13 years old when he graduated from the same university I was in in Ukraine, and he he landed in a in a pretty good pretty good job in the time. And I he was just like a role model for me. I wanted to be like him and he also gave me all his programming books. Those are like super old. Like if you look at them right now, you would be probably you would probably not even recognize half of the technologies that they were about. Okay. Like action scripts and like flesh stuff, <laughs> you know, that does not even exist today. And so like I started with HTML just by myself. So like he, he did like this initial inspiration to me and uh, then I just started doing things by myself because I was like naturally curious about how it works and also I think in hindsight I think uh, it was one of a few things that I could do with virtually no resources so just by just having a computer you know and I was like pretty passionate about creating something about expressing myself and this was one of the easiest ways to do it, to, to get started. So I needed nothing but, but the computer and internet connection. Oh, actually, I think I didn't have the internet connection at first when I started. So I was just like in HTML in, in the notepad yeah. and uh, open it in, in, in Internet Explorer. Yeah, I'm um, pretty sure on the NoCS3 website interview that you did before, you said in that one that you wrote some HTML and phoned up your brother because you didn't have the internet. And we're like, does this work? <laughs> and it was like yeah, debugging yeah. over Yeah, I also, I, <laughs> I, I, I distinctly remember that moment when I like literally called him and started dictating the very basic, like just, it was just like opening HTML tag, opening body tag, yeah. closing body tag, closing HTML tag. And it was like, yes, probably. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that was fun. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, just to give people an idea of like what you're working with at the time, what was like your next stage of coding? I know that you went to college for a little bit. 
Yeah, so I'll start with my next step first, and then I'll share my college story. So after that, I like I learned how to use HTML properly, and after that, I stayed in web development, like a very rookie one, for a few years. I haven't did some freelancing, but like I was, I totally lacked, you know. In, again, in hindsight, I totally lacked any kind of mentorship. So I was like just doing stuff that interested me. I did not have any plan or like goals or something. So it also turned out that a few classmates of mine were, were trying to get into web development and programming. I remember with one of my classmates, we created a website for his father's eyewear shop that's his father was actually using like a working business. We did it pro bono, so just, nice just to get experience. Also, we created a news site about tech in, in Russian that did not take off, but also it was quite a good experience coding in PHP and using JavaScript, HTML, all that stuff. And after that, I think uh, that's when I started creating Chrome extensions because Google Chrome started taking off and they released their API. And that's, if I'm not wrong, that's when I created Mate Translate. Back then it was called Instant Translate. And it was basically just a, an extension that allowed you to double click on words and any given web page and get it translated instantly. So I created that. And after that, I decided that I'm interested in game development because I got inspired by Notch. It's the creator of Minecraft. So I started trying to program games in Java. And that continued for, I think, like two or three years. I was trying to create a game and I was always failing. I mean, it's, I was always underestimating, you know, like it's, it's a tremendous amount of work to create a game. And I was probably too optimistic about it that I could pull it off by myself. Yeah, and after that, after I finally understood that game dev is not working out, I got back to Matron Slate and that's basically when we started working with Andre. And at the time we had a few other guys working with us on Android and Windows apps and that gradu gradually uh, transition into what we have now. Two people suffering then geeking. Oh, I, I forgot about the about the, yeah about the college. So after high school, I went. Uh, I moved. So I'm originally I'm from Lugansk, which is a city in eastern Ukraine. After high school, I moved to Kiev to uh, study applied mathematics, which was on faculty of informatics. So basically, it was kind of computer science with a lot of mathematics and. I'll, already at the very beginning, I knew that I want to move somewhere, preferably Germany or uh, the UK or the US, but the latter two, they were too expensive for a student. I mean, because you have to pay tuition fees as a, as a foreign student. I wanted to move to Munich in the first place, but it was the, the application process was kind of puzzling and I, I started pick, I started searching for alternatives and Vienna turned out to be one. So I moved to Vienna and I started 
studying computer engineering there yeah. and I was doing that for two years and after that I honestly just got bored and I dropped out I mean it also makes sense I think to go a little bit deeper into details because I wasn't dropping out having nothing you know like I got bored because I was working basically full-time back in the day and I was making I think already what's probably like a computer engineer would make in a full-time job so I just had two options like keep studying or like invest more time and more effort into into my work into my career and I selected the second because it was incomparably more interesting for me yeah. because I was honestly never very passionate about the education system I never felt self-fulfilled in it like sitting in classes getting grades i always felt that i'm very very much underperforming under such conditions i always felt way better like working on my own stuff yeah that's really interesting and i think as well it's kind of like people go to study like computer science and yeah other subjects usually to get to become a software engineer and earn the salary if you're already earning that salary it's like well why am i still here and why am i doing like an exams or tests or whatever because you're already in position where you're making that salary and also like speaking about my experience i never had a dream working at google facebook whatever or for somebody in general uh, so like from the very very beginning i somehow knew that I want to work for myself. I never had a dream of like landing in a, in a nice job, you know. Probably that's also a very strong influence of my parents because both my mother and my father had their own businesses. And also my brother for some time, a um, couple of years ago. So I think I was just like raised like this. If someone is listening and or watching and they want to learn to code, maybe they want to start a business, how would you recommend they get started? Well, I think it's very important to to be sure that that's, that's what you want. And if that's what you want, I think most people will just have this natural curiosity towards it and they will like just do it somehow. I was just curious like how to create a website so like i wanted to create i saw like that's you can create this and that like there are different sites and i was like oh nice like i would be interested to create something similar myself and i was just like literally googling how to create a one-page website yeah, sure. and like taking that as a, as a starting point and then like going a bit deeper and so I was like trying to make something and I was solving the problems that arose along the way by Googling like on Stack Overflow mm -hmm. or, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's really interesting because there's lots of different ways that people learn. And I guess some people go to boot camps or some people will be like, oh, I want to do like a course from like Udemy or another online place. But there's yeah. like kind of third group of people they're just like i'm just going to search how to make a button and you can't just like search that on google or stack overflow and like i interviewed sahil 
who's the founder of Gumroad, and that's how he learned to code. He just searched everything. Yeah, you summed it up very nicely, I think. So I think it's it's a very personal thing. For me, I'm definitely in the third group, group as uh, Sahil, for example. For me, it's just trial and error. Like, I just try to build something and figure out somehow. I totally understand that for some people, probably a more structured approach with curriculum or something works better. Yeah, I think it's it's important to understand yourself, no matter how philosophical it may sound. Yeah, I think as well, I guess it depends for some people. They're like an indie hacker and they want to start a business. They might have quite a clear project. And I'm thinking of people, another founder that used this kind of Googling approach was Peter Levels, who's like extremely motivated and he was like making nomad lists. And he was like, okay, how do... I add like a filter so I can sort these places to where you can live remotely and work remotely. Mm-hmm. And he would find that out. But there are other people, it's not a criticism, but some people are like, well, I want to learn to code so I can get a good job. And they perhaps don't have the same kind of desire to make, make their own business. So for those people, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think maybe a curriculum approach, I like a boot camp or an online course is maybe better. Because if you don't have a very clear project of, that you want to code, then it can it can be quite hard because you're like, well, I don't know what to build. So, yeah, yeah, it totally makes sense. I agree hundred percent. And I also wanted to say that hundred percent the Peter Levels type type of person <laughs> because I saw on Twitter that he's like he's actually just trying to build stuff. He's not like as I understand, he does not really care about the architecture, how nice code is. He's just writing everything. That's again what I saw on Twitter that he just writes everything in like one file, yeah. which is uh, every programmer would tell you that it's a terrible hideous approach but it works and like i mean he's getting stuff done and i totally align with him on this that's my approach too i mean the codes i sometimes write is uh, even though i don't write it that often anymore but like if i write something i just try to make it work i don't really care whether it's nice or not and right if your objective is to like start working and Google's machine learning department. I suppose you should write a better code than <laughs> me or Peter Littles do. And I also agree that's probably when, when this curriculum approach might work better. Yeah. So it's, it's it, anyway, I think it's great that we have these options today. There were not that many, even when I started, let alone people who started like 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, definitely. And I think as well, it's really great. The whole, you know, the Indie Hackers website is doing great work showing, you know, bootstrap founders and self-taught developers. And yeah, just the yeah. fact that people like Peter Levels can make really high income from just cobbled together files and PHP and quote unquote bad code. Yeah. But yeah, it, it does still amuse me because I've spoken to people before. I know engineers, they'll still say like, yeah, but he's still doing it wrong. And it's like, oh, yeah, but he makes like 10 times what you make in a year. So it's like, what's, where's yeah. the problem here? I think people who would say that it's wrong, they're just a little bit snobby in my opinion. Like they, they the only thing they care about is like the code beauty 
but they like kind of miss out the bigger picture that it actually works and it brings a very big amount of value to other people who are using that and it's 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 what matters mm. at the end of the day yeah i think if i can yeah if if i re can reflect myself like i did so i did spanish at university and i was one of those snobs yeah. when i was like other people if other like people were learning spanish and i was like oh but you don't know how to use like these 16 different tenses and you don't you've got this like <laughs> tiny grammatical error that's wrong but i can understand now as long as that person's understood yeah. then that's what language matters so it's the same for coding as long as the website works and as long as your business is making money it doesn't have to be like the most you know perfect elegant solution or anything yeah, 100%. And also there's just uh, the perfection does not exist in my opinion, like nothing's perfect. So Yeah, absolutely. So can you tell us a bit about the kind of like what's the stack behind Mate Translate? Yeah, so the Chrome extensions are basically websites and that's what we began with. It's just basically almost like a static website mm -hmm. written in HTML, uh, CSS, and JavaScript. And I remember back in the day, I even created... So I was more like a snobby type of guy uh, <laughs> a few years ago. Sure. And I, was, I cared a lot about uh, code beauty and stuff. And I created a lighter version of j jQuery. Uh, so probably nowadays, not, not, not all people know what jQuery is, but like five, seven years ago, it was basically a status quo of JavaScript development in, on the web. And I was not satisfied that it was so big and pretty slow. So I created my own version that was just five kilobytes. Nice. I also created a framework specifically for extension development. That's Matrix Slate is still using actually in its core. So, yeah, like it's JavaScript, HTML, and CSS in, in the extensions. And then when Andrew joined me, he helped me to create the Mac and iOS apps that are written in Swift. Just a good old app kit for macOS and I, what, what is it called? UI kit for iOS because Swift UI, all this uh, fancy stuff did not exist back in the day. We started using Node.js, so mm -hmm. also JavaScript technology on the back end in the beginning. We actually started we started experiencing performance issues on the back end because our amount of of our users grew, and there is a synchronization feature in Mate that lets you synchronize all your data, all your translation history between your devices. And as the amount of users was growing. Node.js, or at least the architecture we used, was not performing very well. So we rewrote some parts of our backend Kotlin. Okay. Yeah, so like our backend is terrible, to be honest. It's it's like a mix of Node.js for some endpoints and Kotlin for, for other stuff. It's, it, it's just terrible. I love the honesty in a broadcast. That he knows how many, Man, it's, but I it's, yeah, I love the yeah. honesty. It's great. 
You'd never get this from an engineer also, at Apple or Google, you know, our code is terrible. Yeah, no, it, 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 it sucks big time. And also we're using Apache for like rerouting, how's it called, for proxying different different URLs and the Apache config is is a disaster as well. So pretty much everything on the back end is very, very ugly, but it, it kind of works. And we just have, you know, at this point we have other stuff that we think is significantly more important yeah. yeah and also over the years probably the the one thing that i did not mention over the years we were collecting different vocabularies and dictionaries that we're using for translation synonyms articles articles is a thing for for example german because there is this daddy das mm -hmm. thing which does not exist in english for example also, we're, use, we're, we're starting to use our own translation technology. It's very hard. That's our goal to, to become as good in translation quality as Dipple, but as user-friendly as Made it is now. And for less popular languages, we're, we're still relying on, on Google's API and making it better, standing out by being significantly more user-friendly than Google's own apps. Cool. If they have that, that's, uh, because they, for example, don't have one for Mac. Yeah, that's really awesome. So you're kind of using Giggles tools against them in a way. Yeah. I'm very happy about this strategy because we kind of used uh, the building blocks to build our own stuff to acquire the users. And now we have this leverage. We can use these users to train our translation models better to monetize them to fund our future translation model development. So like we got this this leverage using stuff that's already existed and now we have we have way more flexibility and, and freedom. So like I'm really happy how it played out in this regard. Okay, this is just a quick intermission to say there's over a hundred articles on nocsdegree.com with developers that have learned code from boot camps or have just taught themselves code through online resources. I'd really love you to check out the website as well as listen to the podcast. And also, if you're looking for a job, you can go on nocsok.com and there's all these positions on my job board. It's only positions that don't require CS degree. So if you're learning code or you've learned already, then that's a great way to find a job. Okay, let's get back to the podcast. So yeah, it'd be cool to hear, I guess, a bit more about the business side of things, because like we said at the start of the program, you've got 800,000 users, which especially for an indie hacker, you know, you don't have any VC backing or any funding or anything, like 800,000 people. Can you talk us through how you started and how you got to that number? Yeah, so actually the story is pretty simple. So. Since I created it quite a while ago, most of the time it just grew organically. Mate happened to be one of the first in the Chrome Web Store. So it was definitely one of the first translator apps there, translator extensions. And that's basically where most of the users are coming from, from, from the Chrome Web Store. Yeah, so I should say we have not been very proficient in the marketing in the recent years. We just 
started doing it seriously and thoughtfully like probably two years ago and most of the time was just learning because we started two years ago it was mostly organic yeah i mean we were doing of course we were doing some things for example one of the things that returned us the one of the best results was like trying to pitch apple in the mac app store so they feature us and three years ago we got featured and that brought us like 20 or 30k in in a few months which was an an enormous amount of money for us three years ago so basically a little pre-story two years ago apple discontinued chrome compatible safari extension extensions and they asked developers instead to build safari extensions into their mac apps and we jumped at it like almost instantaneously we embedded our safari extension into our mac app contacted apple and they featured us again and along with that we we worked quite a lot on aso app store optimization like you know optimizing the screenshots app previews different keywords so you rank high in in the app store search and so these two things they i'm not exaggerating they 10x our mac revenue so that was one of the things that's like worked out really really nicely for us and that was uh, a thoughtful decision that like i mean it wasn't like shooting in the dark or something We, we saw an opportunity we did that they worked out but I think our marketing uh, efforts now are also thoughtful and like yeah. we're just doing more. That's cool. So that I hope that will play out nicely um, like in a year. Yeah, I mean, that's great. It's good that you're able to like react so quickly, but I think it's good as well that if you've just had like steady growth and word of mouth, and I guess it's like, I guess a lot of entrepreneurs are like obsessed with growth hacks, but it's like, well, do you have a good product, first of all? And you can't keep on endlessly growth hacking if the product is terrible. I think we were one of those people, actually, because as I said, we used to have five products. And for example, Reggie, it's an app that we started as a, as a spin-off to Mate. And it allowed you to save your own vocabulary and learn it using spaced repetition. And so we launched it two years ago, no, even three years ago already. And we were totally ignoring the fact that people were kind of reluctant to using it. And we were still trying to use to exploit those like little growth hacks and like try to force people into using it. But it was not working out somehow. So like Reggie and it's three, three year lifespan, it made less than make, makes uh, in a month. Wow. So yeah. in January, we finally opened our eyes and like decided we cannot ignore this anymore. Like we need to like become focused and not, you know, spread our intent, attention and effort and money and resources on, on stuff that's not working because it's not going to bring us anywhere. So we decided to shut unsuccessful projects down 
the thing I'm really happy about is that we did not have to shut them down, at least one of them. So another app was Breaks for Us, and we actually found a new owner for it. So it will live on, which I'm, of course, happy about. Yet we got rid of it in a way that we don't have to, like, spend our time on it and maintaining it. Yeah. And can devote more time to mate. Yeah, I think it's quite it is quite easy to fall into the trap. Like I've had various parts of my businesses that have been like I've got I guess quite a lot of different income streams and sometimes mm-hmm. I'll be like hammering away at them all equally and then I'm like, Why am I still doing this one? This doesn't make any money. This makes like I don't yeah. know, two hundred bucks a year and this one makes, you know, thousands. It's like why why do why do that one? So yeah, it's good to take a step back and look at what's working, what's not working, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, be more efficient. Are all your apps paid for? Are they premium? Yeah, so made is made for Mac and iOS. It's uh, it's a paid app, mm. so you just pay once upfront. For iOS, it's uh, at the moment it's fifteen dollars. For Mac, it's thirty dollars. Yeah, and, and you use it forever, basically. On browsers, it is a freemium model, so it is free to use, but you can pay us $10 to get more features. And up until now, it was working pretty nicely for us because we always thought that subscriptions... So, like, I, as a consumer, I don't like subscriptions, of course, and probably neither does because there are a lot of apps that want want to grab into your wallet, basically. And also, we thought that maintaining the subscription is harder. It takes up more resources because you not only need to acquire users, but also to convince them to subscribe at some point and then to keep them. So like three steps instead of just one, in our case, just to convince them to pay once. So we were kind of avoiding it. And we were managing to grow our revenue at a satisfiable rate. And now we are actually working on a new business model because we like, came to a point where we don't think it's the, the most sustainable and acceptable way for us. Okay. Right yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's pros and cons on both sides, but... It seems just like you're delivering so much value. If you, if someone's like a translator or something, then they just pay once and they might use your app for years. I, I can even go further and say that our current business model is not a business model at all. So we never like did unit economy or something, you know, like we did not calculate how much we're spending pro user, sure. pro paid user, pro free user. So it's, it's kind of like, totally taken out of the blue and what we're working on now is an actual business model that will take into account the AWS cost, mm. the what we pay for translators, uh, like people who are reviewing translations, training models, like all the stuff that must be considered when designing a business model. Yeah, so like I want to be honest, like what we have now is not even a business model. It's it just, you know, like a, an alpha version probably. Yeah. Oh, well, you're doing, I mean, if you're doing 18K a month and you got 
800,000 users, you're doing pretty good for someone without a business model or without, yeah, yeah. more developed. So yeah, something that caught my attention recently was you were doing like experiments with SEO and like, I think you're doing yeah. like swear words. We tried out SEO when we launched Reggie, the, the language learning app that we shut down. Back in the day, we decided to, to start writing blog articles that would pull in Google search traffic. And as soon as we have somebody on our blog, we would try to convert them and, into a Reggie user. So we, we made that almost three years ago, and we kind of just left it there, switched our focus to other things. And in late December 2020, we revisited it, looked at the analytics, and, and we noticed that it was actually working in some way. So Reggie's blog was pulling in like 4K unique visitors a month. Awesome. And also it's the time when we decided to switch our focus on Mate and actually work on acquiring users for it. So yeah, it's one of the things that we're, we're doing for getting more users to use Mate is writing for, is writing blog articles on various topics that might be interesting to people who translate stuff on the internet and in real life who basically use uh, a translator app and curse words it's just one of the things that i shared on twitter because sure. i found it quite funny so like initially our our writer for reggie's blog so we outsource it like we don't do that ourselves we just come up with the topics based on what we think might be interesting for our target audience on what's has search volume we use acrefs for that and we just give it to our writers we have a bunch of them on upwork and they basically create everything for us we just review it and that's it so initially for reggie's blog our our writer she she wrote an article about spanish curse words and that happened that article happened to be one of the most popular ones on the blog so First, we checked uh, whether there might be interest for other languages, and there was quite a lot for other popular languages like Russian, Italian, French, Japanese. So my co-founder, he just basically copy-pasted that article, picked some curse words in other languages, and now we have 12 of those. That's, it normally takes time for Google to index those articles and start okay. ranking it. But we hope like in six months, it, it might be like five acts of traffic from those 12 articles rather than just one. I mean, some people might say it's like not, you know, we're again doing things not very beautifully, but that's unfortunately how SEO works. I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. So are you, are you gonna, do more articles like this using dynamic content or are you just going to use freelancers? Well, this example, it's not even dynamic content. Okay. It's just uh, basically f finding one topic that's interesting to people, to our target audience yeah. and like copy pasting, duplicating it for 
other like subtopics, like going deeper. Sure. Speaking of dynamic content, that's like the second SEO niche that's that we're experimenting with. So we basically leverage all the data about translations that we have. And we created dynamic landing pages for different translations for different German nouns. So like the verb conjugations. Sure. So basically all in all, we created probably like more than 3 million landing pages wow. just by using the content that we have. So like it took me probably two or three weeks to make all of that. And now we have like a very, very big amount of landing pages. I, I checked the analytics today, actually, and the translations and the pages that we have, they're already pulling in 500 people a day, two months after we launched them. So I'm also pretty happy with the outcome of it. You made 3 million landing pages, did you say? Yeah, basically the, the idea behind it is we created three different, like, endpoints uh, like basically like we created three pages on our back end mm -hmm. and they're just showing the all the content not all of it but like a lot of content from our database so it's all dynamic like i just coded basically three pages in, in kotlin and html awesome. and then uh yeah it's it's all dynamic from there yeah how much would it cost a freelancer to make three million landing pages all that a lot so <laughs> yeah yeah like for instance i remember andrew was told was telling me so he is in charge of the block content i'm in charge of this dynamic stuff mm -hmm. and i think german-speaking rioters they're like 60 up to 80 euros an hour and on average it takes two three hours to write one piece and we try to crank out like 10 pieces per two weeks so like five pieces a week that, that'd be a lot yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah definitely i think that's like a really good example of the power of coding just there the fact that you can create so much content for search engines and get so much more like traffic so much more website visitors and then you can convert them to users and get a certain number of them to, to pay for it. So yeah, it's genius. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really, I'm really happy uh, that I can do it myself. So like when I, when we came up with this idea, we we're like, so should we try to outsource it to someone or not? Because it was one of the changes in strategy for 2021 that we're not trying to make the routine stuff ourselves anymore. We're trying to outsource it so we can have more time and energy for like strategy and, and marketing and stuff instead of like you know trying to implement something ourselves but like in this case it, it seemed to us that it's easier to do it uh, to implement it ourselves like spend two weeks instead of looking for someone and then like trying to guide them through our ugly backends and uh, explain what to do it seemed like a one-off thing that was just way faster to implement ourselves and yeah, I'm really happy like that it, that's, I could do it myself very easily. Now we have like a great thing that's, yeah, that's working for us. Yeah. That's awesome, man. So yeah. What are your, what are your plans for the future with Mate Translate? Yeah. Great question. So for the next five years, we're planning on 
focusing on me like 100%. Like we want to get it as big as we can. Perfectly like make it a go-to app. Like probably we'll never get to the Google Translate level, but as close to that as possible. So people would be like, okay, I got this new iPhone, for example, and I need a translator app because I'm going to, I don't know, Indonesia next month. I know that I need mates, just just like people know they need to download Instagram, you know, or TikTok. Yeah, so that's that's like our bigger goal. We want to have a very, very good API comparable to Dipple and translation quality. Have a solid business model, not just like upfront purchases like we have now. And have the user acquisition streamlined. Yeah, because like our goals with Andrew, they align that we want to uh, gain as as much business skills as as we can, kind of like learn how to build real businesses, not just products. Because like I think probably a bit braggy, but like we we learned how to build pretty decent products, and now I want to learn how to build pretty decent companies. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. I mean, are you guys what about twenty three or twenty four? No, I'm 25. I okay. turned 25 in January. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, the big 25. Well, I think you're, you two are, have done like so much great work already. If you can follow that five-year plan, I think it would be like you'd be in an excellent position. Thank you. You're, you're still, both of you are still really young. So I think you've already achieved loads. So that's awesome. I think that's just about everything. Where can people find out about Mate Translate and your own like social media and everything. So Geekin is G-I-K-K-E-N dot C-O. There are links on our social media, Mate's website and basically everything. And like speaking of me, I try to tweet as much as I can. Yeah. So uh, for like more business insights, I try to tweet about that. Yeah, I think that's generally like a good way if you do want to grow your Twitter is just literally share everything that you're doing, everything you're working on and successes, failures, revenue. And I think the people that are like most transparent about how their business encoding is going, they're the people that get most followers, but it can also be quite exhausting. And also I'm like, I'm quite an introverted person myself. So like I'm only learning how to do all this publicity stuff and it is like exhausting to you know because for me like i need to come up okay like what can i share and i'm actually thinking about that and then i need to somehow shape that into words into this 280 character limitation now actually i wanted to mention like speaking speaking of this i want to experiment and start a newsletter where i have like more freedom not just 280 characters and sure. can go into into details and i want to like share our journey to 1 million annual revenue in that you said wow nice uh, one it's also linked in my twitter bio yeah yeah that's cool we'll, we'll, uh, i'll put that in the description yeah. but yeah i think it's a cool thing to say yeah what just get to a million so that's yeah that's awesome i think that's one of the best things that founders can do is like share how, share how they're going and the other ups and downs and their 
yeah, yeah. aims and goals for the future. I think that's really cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I myself, I love transparent, honest companies and people. Like that, that means to me that somebody is caring a lot about stuff. I think if they can afford that level of transparency and honesty, that I'm not going to be like ripped off or something. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think, no, I think you're right. I think it does, it does create more trust. And I think, yeah, exactly. It's yeah. funny, like the. I can tell you right now that like the most, my most popular tweets always involve money. Like whenever I say <laughs> how much I made this month or like how much like a product mine sold or something like that, that's what get, that's what get the most likes. You can tweet, you can tweet anything about money. People will like it just because yeah, I yeah, think as yeah. well, it is the novelty because I mean, I guess in our little like developer or indie hacker world, people talk about money lots, but if you go into, you know, if you went into a bar and just asked someone, Hey, how much money do you make? People are like, what the hell are you doing? Ask me that for That's none of your goddamn business. Or, or even if you yeah, just yeah, like yeah. went into the street and just like, Hey, I made 10 grand this month. People would uh, beat you up maybe, but. Uh, yeah, but I think like it's it's probably what you're talking about is the context. But I think people in general, like regardless of their field, they quite love counting somebody else's money. So I think like yeah. for example, a bar owner would be definitely interested how how much another bar bar owner make, yeah, uh, makes. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good yeah. analogy, and yeah, I guess as well. I think as well as long as you kind of take. I guess like a growth mindset to it. Like if I see someone doing really well and making lots of money, like I try my best to be like, okay, what can I learn from them and what can I do? Whereas I guess if you take more of a like negative reaction to it and it's, and like just be like, I know, get envious or get jealous, then that's as an entrepreneur, that's like not a good reaction. So. I think if you can, yeah, yeah. if you can choose to like, just be inspired by it and then it can show you the potential. And obviously people like Peter Levels have been, been super transparent about how much revenue they've made. And that's, yeah, that's inspired loads of people. So it's really good to see. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen even like went a step further and he's sharing his figures like live on, he has a, like a separate page for it that shows how much uh, his projects are making the 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 open startup movement or something yeah yeah definitely i'm not totally sure if he's still doing that but yeah lots of people do have open pages so you can see and it's fun because you can go way back and you'd be like oh how much was this person making like three years ago compared to now yeah and yeah i guess as well a lot of people on the indie hackers website have their stripe verified revenue right well thanks again for coming on the show and hopefully i can interview you again when you're making millions a mill yeah that'd yeah. be awesome <laughs> that'd be great it'd be great i'm, I'm also looking forward to that moment. <laughs> nice one cool well that's set in stone then and then everyone check out geekin and mate translate they're both awesome thanks for being on the show thank you bye man bye
Okay, listeners, I really hope that you enjoyed that interview with Alex. It was a lot of fun for me. I would just ask if you did like the episode, please go to wherever you're listening to this podcast and just give it a quick review, say what you liked about it, tell your friends, tell your auntie, tell your uncle. It'd be really awesome. And also, if anyone wants to sponsor the podcast, you can get in touch with me on Twitter. I'm on Pete Codes, or you can check out the official No CS Degree account on Twitter as well. Okay, see you next time.